0: Welcome to Curious Minnesota, I'm your host, Eric Roper, and we are here today at MSP Airport at the aircraft viewing area, which is a parking lot that's kind of in the middle of the runways here at the airport, and you can see planes taking off and landing. This is what we're talking about today is MSP Airport, which is actually one of the oldest airports in the country, and it has a very interesting history. Many of us are probably familiar with what it looks like today, but it's hard to imagine that over 100 years ago, this was actually a racetrack that ended up becoming our airport. And we're going to be talking today with Janet Moore, who's an expert in this airport. She covers transportation for the Star Tribune. And who unpacked the history of MSP Airport for us from Speedway Field to Wool Chamberlain Field to what we know today as an international aviation hub. How did this place evolve? All right, we have a American Eagle plane taking off. Okay, we're back in the studio. Before our interview with Janet, let's hear from Dave Campbell who asked us this great question. I contacted Curious Minnesota because being born and raised in Bloomington, Minnesota and being around the airport continuously, I wondered what happened to the old airport that they had prior to expansion and building the new one and also what part of the present airport was the expansion in the 60s when they closed the old airport. It was just curious as to how that all evolved and how the airport grew. Well, Janet, thanks so much for joining us today. So MSP Airport, now we know it is this real international hub. You know, a lot of us might be familiar with it, flying in and out. And it's actually one of the oldest airports in the country. And it has a whole history that is very foreign to us now as far as modern air travel. So before there was MSP Airport, there, what did this area look like?
1: There was a huge tract of land and there was not much there.
0: Okay. When does this all begin? I mean, before it's an airport, what is the initial development on that site?
1: Well, the site was originally home to something called the Twin City Motor Speedway, which was a two-mile racetrack built in 1915 by some kind of unique people who came up here to build a speedway. They had built one in Indianapolis, which, of course, is very famous. But this one didn't really work.
0: Okay, And we know that there was a big race, which was featured on the front page of the Minneapolis Tribune. And here you have these, like, you know, sort of buggy cars. And, and there was a big two-mile concrete track. But then, what, they go bankrupt, right? Or
1: That's right. And they also had some problems with the concrete, of course, in Minneapolis and Minnesota. It's all about weather and the concrete would occasionally buckle Mm -hmm. in heat or in the cold. And so it really didn't work out. And within two years, the whole operation went bankrupt.
0: Okay. So we've got this two mile concrete oval sitting there south of Minneapolis. I mean, there's pictures you can still see houses sort of nearby. I mean, in in that time, what happens to this spot? What are we going to do with this big concrete oval? It ends up serving a purpose, right?
1: Well, civic leaders at the time thought it would be a great spot for an airport and aviation was emerging at that part of the, I would say, 1910s, 1920s. So they thought that they could develop it into an airport.
0: Why do we need an airport?
1: Mostly for airmail. Airmail was a prime reason why airports developed here and everywhere else in the country.
0: Okay. The idea being that we would Put it all on the uh, airplane and we could have same day or I don't know what would...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about same day, but it certainly was much more of a convenience.
0: Okay. But they didn't get rid of the racetrack oval for a little while, so it it ends up being this kind of landmark or...
1: Right. For people who were flying in, pilots could spot the oval and it was kind of a uh, prime way for them to locate where the landing strip was
0: nearby. Wow. Okay. And from old pictures, it looks like there's basically hangars getting sort of developed around the oval.
1: Over the years, uh, hangars are built and kind of a hodgepodge springs up from this open area.
0: Okay. So in the early years, we didn't mention this, but it was called Speedway Field, which you can guess why that would be the case. Then what 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 happens in 1923? That's when it really sort of becomes a little bit more formalized, right?
1: Well, the airport is renamed Wold Chamberlain Field after two World War I aviators from the Twin Cities who died in the war. So it remained Wold Chamberlain Field for a number of years until it was renamed
0: Minneapolis-St. Paul. And one thing we discovered in, in working on this was just, it seems like every step along the way, like thousands of people would come out for some big event. So the Wold Chamberlain dedication, we have a photo which I'll link to in the show notes, where there's just so many people there just to see the airport get dedicated. So it must have been a big civic thing at the time.
1: Well, I think it really speaks to how these two modes of transportation in the early part of the 20th century really fascinated and delighted people. So the automobile first with the speedway, which, of course, ultimately failed, but then also the airport. And that fascination really kind of goes into, I would say, right up until uh, Terminal 1 was built and dedicated in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. People would show up by the thousands to see not only the airport itself, but uh, various celebrities who came through, Eddie Fisher, mm-hmm. Howard Hughes came through at one point in the 40s. People would just Lindberg. show up. That's right. And it was ultimately Terminal 1 was named after Charles Lindbergh. Right. And so in
0: 1928, I mean, now we think of these regional entities that control things like the airport and, and the Met Council and stuff. That didn't exist yet. So the part park board steps in? Why did the park board step in to buy this land?
1: Well, it was more of an efficacy thing that the park board had the ability to buy land outside of the city proper. Minneapolis couldn't go and buy city outside its city limits, so the park board stepped in.
0: Okay. And so does this sort of initiate a sort of a more rapid development of this space then with more, you know, real ownership on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, by 1930, there were eight hangars on the site, an administration building, a waiting room, a dining room. So it was building up at that point.
0: Okay. And so airmail sort of gradually gives way to more passenger service then?
1: Yeah, I think passenger service and aviation really took off after World War II. Okay. And at the time, we had two airports, of course, Wold Chamberlain Field and Holman Field over in St. Paul. And the two really were quite competitive, just as the cities are quite competitive. But ultimately, Northwest really pushed for one main airport in the cities, and it was Wold Chamberlain.
0: Okay. And you mentioned Northwest there. So let's let's have a little history because Northwest Airlines history is very much sort of dovetails with the history of the airport. So how did because Nor- Northwest started what doing airmail then?
1: Right. And eventually kind of morphed its business model into passenger service. It was founded in 1926. And it really shaped air service in the Twin Cities for many decades after that. Mm-hmm. And then of course, Northwest was purchased by Delta Airlines in 2008. And it was I Think a real a loss for the cities not having Northwest based here. Mm-hmm. But having said that, the airport in 2019 served about 40 million people, and most of it was through Delta and its partners. Mm-hmm.
0: So then we move uh, sort of forward here. Northwest, you know, they become a big deal. They do international flights, right? I mean, that sort of does that start to change things around the airport?
1: Yeah, Northwest really pioneered scheduled commercial service to Asia. So establishing in the 1940s hubs. In Tokyo, Seoul, Shanghai, and Manila, operating on a 50-passenger Douglas Mm DC-4.
0: So before we talk about the next iteration of the airport, let's get to the question. Is anything left of this Wold Chamberlain Airport days? Are there remnants around that we could see? No. (laughs) (laughs) The racetrack's definitely gone. We know that. The
1: racetrack is gone. And in the early aughts, the remaining buildings of the old Wold Chamberlain Airport were demolished for airfield
0: improvements. And those would be like the administration building and and some other things like that. Right. Right. okay. And so in 1962, the airport sort of starts to get into more of its modern stage of its life with the opening of Terminal 1. What was sort of the significance of that? I mean, what did that sort of look like and feel like compared to the old airport?
1: Well, it was very modern for the time, and it was kind of pioneering in the sense that departures and ticketing were on the first level and then below that on the ground level was set aside for baggage claim. It's very common for airports to feature that configuration these days. Mm-hmm. But back in the early 60s, that was a pioneering design. Right. And then the airport also has a distinctive concrete scalloped roof, mm-hmm. which is still there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see because the airport is still a hodgepodge of all sorts of buildings. And of course, there's Terminal 2 as well. Right. But there are parts of Terminal 1 that remain today. The footprint is basically there. Concourses E and F are part of the original footprint. And of course, the ticketing lobby and baggage claim.
0: Right. I mean, just looking at the images of it, you get the impression that while it may have been a hodgepodge of buildings, it was not like the hodgepodge of the Wool Chamberlain days where we were sort of plopping hangers, you know, all along this area, right? I mean, this was a one sort of functional space that looks like what we would consider an airport today. And it had this distinctive folded, you use- said, sort of this folded roof.
1: Sawtooth roof. Sawtooth yeah.
0: mm-hmm. roof. Okay. And so... Is any of that still around? If you're in the airport, what would be, is there anything you might be able to notice if you were looking for old elements?
1: Not from inside, no. And, you know, it's even going to get less obvious now that the airport is going through a $1.6 billion overhaul and Mm -hmm. they're pushing out the front portion of the airport, the original Terminal 1, Mm -hmm. formerly known as the Lindbergh Terminal, Mm -hmm. but they're pushing it out to expand the space within
0: the ticketing lobby. Can you see that old roof anywhere?
1: You can. not yeah, it's hard to see, but you know, most people aren't really looking for the original roof when they go to the airport. They just want to be dropped off or mm-hmm. picked
0: up. Well, curious Minnesota readers are, they will <laughs> <Right>. be looking. <laughs>
1: it's 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 visible in certain areas of the airport. Okay. But that's about it.
0: Okay. And so one thing I love about Curious Minnesota is we often hear from readers and we appreciate hearing from them. We got comments on the story, we got comments on the, a Facebook post, and we got many emails that you received. And so what was one of those emails. We had one person's memory of the old Old Chamberlain days.
1: Uh, well, Gordy Lewis emailed me and said that he worked for the park board, and he worked at the old terminal in the winter, and he said, not only did I peel potatoes and run the dishwasher, but interestingly, we packed box lunches for the airlines. It was best as I can recall, a sandwich, a brownie, and an apple. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Lewis says he'll be 94 in July. Wow! So, this was back when you got a sandwich, a brownie, an apple, and right. these days not so much.
0: Yeah. you'll and be wor- lucky
1: if you get a bag of pretzels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and working at the aer- uh, working at the park board didn't mean you know lifeguard, or maybe it did mean lifeguarding and uh, doing other things, but it also meant maybe peeling potatoes. That's at, right, uh, Gordy the was peeling
1: potatoes and not lifeguarding.
0: So obviously, the park board does not own the airport today. Who owns it now? And when did that all happen?
1: Well, MSP is now owned and operated by the Metropolitan Airports Commission, and they took over in 1944. Mm-hmm. And that's when there was a big push by Northwest and others to have just one major airports serving the Twin Cities.
0: Right, okay. And so we'd be remiss if we talked about this whole thing and didn't mention this star-studded cast of Hollywood characters that came around in the late 1960s to film the movie Airport, which I have not seen, but will see because how can I not watch this uh, iconic Twin Cities uh, location movie? So tell us a little bit about why, how did the movie Airport end up there?
1: Well, it was really the first in the 1970s genre of disaster films, and as you you mentioned it had a big cast with big names, including Dean Martin, Burt Lancaster, Jacqueline Bisset, And the plot line included an airport manager, mm-hmm. played by Burt Lancaster, trying to keep a fictional Chicago-area airport open during a snowstorm. So they filmed it here, hoping that the weather would comply. Mm-hmm. Well, the weather didn't comply, and... <laughs> they had to use these plastic pellets as snow. So I think you said somebody on Facebook remembers that.
0: Yeah, so one of our Facebook commenters said that, I picked up fake snow from the curb from the airport filming around March of 1969. Where did my baggie of plastic snow go? (laughs) So people have some fun memories of the airport. So I'm going to have to put that on my movie list. Well, Janet, thank you so much for coming. This is so interesting uh, about a place that a lot of us are familiar with in modern times, but has a very, very long history. I think that planes have been flying at MSP for 100 years is sort of hard to imagine even but It's
1: really an amazing form of transportation. It's very
0: fun to cover. Mm-hmm. Well great. Well thank you so much Anna. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. To see more about the airport's history, including some great historical photos, be sure to check out Janet's story, which I will link to in the show notes. And if you are hungry for more Curious Minnesota content, we have been busy answering reader questions in our weekly column, which appears on StarTribune.com every Friday morning and in the newspaper on Sunday. Some recent stories have dug into the history of St. Paul's sandstone caves, historical Native American trails that became modern roads, and the proliferation of 5G cellular, antennas in residential neighborhoods you can read them all at startribune.com slash curious if you'd like us to feature one of those stories on the podcast or you have a question you'd like us to answer send us a note at curious at startribune.com and as always if you like this show please tell a friend thanks so much
1: Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.